Good morning, everyone. Good to have you here for our Bible Hour time today. And I encourage you to open to the book of Acts in chapter 1. And I trust you all got the outline for today. I'll be following that outline closely. And I trust that I'll be able to find my outline somewhere here in this Bible. In preparation and in prayer, all of the people that come up here and speak at the Bible Hour are asking for God to give us something that will affect the heart and mind of those that are listening. That the point, the purpose of us being up here and ministering the Word of God is not to have an academic exercise or in some way bless our own study of the Word of God. It is an encouragement to study the Word of God. It's a joy to prepare for this time. But the real desire is for what's said here to be taken by the Spirit of God and used in your heart and your mind, in my heart and in my mind, to change our lives for His glory and for His praise. So that's my prayer today as we look at this portion in Acts chapter 1. This is a special and unique passage of Scripture to a unique group of people. It's a 10-day period that takes place between Ascension Thursday and Pentecost Sunday. The Ascension was 40 days after the Lord's resurrection. That took place on a Thursday. And then there's a 10-day period between that event and what's called Pentecost Pentecost is 50 days after the Sabbath that is involved in Passover week. So Penta, 50, you count seven Sabbaths, and then the day after that Sabbath, you then have the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost is a time in the late spring, early summer, when people come back to Jerusalem. There are three times in the year when the men of Israel were to appear before the Lord. One was Passover, that's in the early spring. A second one is Pentecost, 50 days later. And a third one is Tabernacles. Tabernacles is an eight-day feast that takes place in the fall. So Pentecost is a regular event on the Jewish calendar. It's where all the men are encouraged to appear in Jerusalem before the Lord. It always takes place on a Sunday. You count seven Sabbaths, and then the day after that, that Sunday, is Pentecost. So we have here from verses 12 through 26, this 10-day period that's covered between the ascension of the Lord and Pentecost. I trust that today we'll be encouraged by God's attention to these groups of people We have the 120, the 12, and then the ones. From this message today, I hope that God will impress it on your heart and your mind that God is paying attention to you, that God is seeking to minister to you, that God is looking at you today for his glory and for his praise. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time of study in the Word of God and pray that indeed the Spirit of God will be at work in taking thoughts that are shared and using them to affect heart and mind. 
So we commit this to you and thank you for the precious, inspired word of God that we study today and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first of all, learning from the 120, let's read from verses 12 uh, through to 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, or perhaps better stated, and his siblings. So we have here the 120, now that comes in the next verse. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons is about 120. So we, first of all, have a special people here, this 120 group. We can look at the list of the people, and we have 11 disciples. We know the names of two others that will come up later on in this chapter, and that's Joseph Barsabbas Justus. He has three names, and then Matthias. We have Mary, Jesus' mother. Then we have others that we can uh, take a guess at. We have Jesus' brothers, that's James, Joseph, Jude, and Simeon or Simon. And then the word there is not just brothers, it can be uh, translated siblings. The Lord had at least two sisters as well, because they're always referred to in the plural when you go through the Gospels. So we have uh, those Six siblings, at least, of the Lord Jesus there. Then the women. I do want to pause and make sure that we acknowledge the fact that the Scripture acknowledges the women. That the women are there for His glory, for His praise, for His purposes. And they join together with the apostles, with the disciples during this time, this 10-day period. So their role in this is vital. And let's think about some of the women We would have uh, women that are mentioned in the Gospels. That would be Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala, Joanna, Susanna, Mary the mother of James. Uh, We would think that's one of the disciples, mothers. Mary the wife of Clopas or Cleopas, Mary the mother of Jesus, sister. Her name might be Salome. I wonder if others were there, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They were only just about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Perhaps they were there in the upper room. Perhaps Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea are there as well, those that buried the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps we have the invalid from the pool of Bethesda that was healed by the Lord. Perhaps we have the man that was born blind and now given sight that's with this group of people. Perhaps two of the men that were healed of blindness there at Jericho, one of them is named Bartimaeus, is there with them, Jericho's a few miles away. We have a number of people that would be here in this special room, in the upper room. I want to say that all of these people were touched, taught, and transformed by Jesus Christ. That's true of us here in this room today, that we have been touched, we have been taught, 
and we have been transformed by Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ touched my life through the testimony of my parents, through the teaching of the word of God, I met Jesus Christ. The spirit of God convicting me that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And all of this took place near my eighth birthday. I knew I was a sinner, knew I needed Jesus Christ as a savior. And I received him as my savior. Touched, taught, and transformed by Jesus Christ. For each one of you, you would bear a testimony here today of how the Lord Jesus Christ has touched you. Physically, you say that's impossible, Phil, the Lord's in heaven. No, the head is in heaven. His body is here on earth. And so the body of Jesus Christ is still able to touch you this day. And as I look throughout this room, I can see individuals and families that have been touched by the body of Jesus Christ. Do not discount the activity of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives because he's not here physically. The Lord Jesus Christ said in the Gospel of John, greater things than these will you see after he'd performed a miracle. The Lord there in his location in Israel during that time, he was there in an area of about 120 miles in length and about 60 miles in width. Today, the body of Jesus Christ circles the globe. And the body of Jesus Christ is touching individuals in a way that the Lord Jesus Christ, while here on earth, never did. It is because of spirit-indwelt individuals that are a part of that body that now he can touch individuals. This morning, the gospel is going forth throughout the world. In a few Sundays, we'll be thinking about those who are meeting on a Lord's Day morning like this at the risk of their own lives. And the pastor that's proclaiming the word of God to them in absolute risk of torture, of imprisonment, of death. But the body of Jesus Christ goes on. The gates of hell will not prevail against the body of Jesus Christ. So the body of Jesus Christ still touches people. The Lord Jesus Christ still teaches you, teaches you through his word. I want to be as humble as I can, but say to you, I hope that's happening this morning. I hope that happens every Lord's Day morning when the Bible is opened up and we allow the Bible to then speak to us and teach us about the glory and the wonder and the majesty of Jesus Christ and of his church and of the Lord Jesus Christ as he's pictured in the Old Testament and as he's ministering through the Old Testament in a variety of ways, through his prophets, through his words, through the various pictures, Jesus Christ seeks to teach. And then finally, transformed. Transformed by the Spirit of God. There is no explanation for these transformations other than a divine touch and teaching by God himself. We had a dentist here in our midst. His name was Dave Zimmerman. Dave had a beautiful tenor voice. Owen Hoffman was here. Oh, if you could only have heard Owen Hoffman in his day. (laughs) Owen Hoffman was from New York City and sounded more like Jimmy Durante than anybody else I ever heard in my life. Jimmy Durante is going back too many years for a lot of you here in the audience. (laughs) 
So Owen was up here preaching the gospel and the kids got points for bringing guests. And so the particular uh, points that they got was by bringing their parents to the meeting. And so Dave was back there right here on Kirkland Avenue. And uh, Mary was praying. That's his wife. Uh, I don't know if he's going to come or not. I'm not sure. So he ended up coming and arrived here. And Owen Hoffman preached the gospel. And Dave Zimmerman got saved. I was courting a girl named Heather McGeehee at the time. And I came down in the summer. And here I have the privilege of being here and watching Dave Zimmerman walk up to this platform. And Owen Hoffman was the guest speaker that day. And Dave sang this beautiful solo. Then Owen Hoffman got up and said, Brother Dave, could you one year ago have sung sung that song? You see, what Dave was planning that night that he got saved was to go out with his pals. He'd already bought the Little King's Cream Ale. He had them both in his hands and put them in the shopping cart out of the pony keg up here on Holly Tree. And guess who he bumped into who was buying something? He bumped into Betty McGee. Well, Betty, it's nice to see you as he tried to hide the little kings there inside the shopping cart. Dave was transformed by Jesus Christ touching his life through the preaching of Owen Hoffman. Now, I proclaim that same thing to you. I've been transformed. What my life could have been But Jesus Christ in his grace and goodness guided me along. Oh, thank God for the transformation in our lives. Do you not say that today, brothers and sisters? Thanking God for the transformation that's taken place. But now I have a question for you. Have you been touched by Jesus Christ? Have you been taught by Jesus Christ? Have you been transformed? By Jesus Christ. I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ without any reluctance or reserve this morning. There is one and only one way of salvation, and it is by faith in Jesus Christ. Dear friend, if you've never received Jesus Christ, you are an individual who bears the weight and burden of your sin before a holy God. God, in his righteousness, must judge that sin, and he will. God has already demonstrated that several times for us through the scripture. It is not God's wish to judge, but it is God's compulsion to have to judge because of his character. He cannot let evil go. So in the flood, in Sodom and Gomorrah, in the valley of Achor with Achan, with a whole variety of judgments that takes place in the nation of Israel, God proves and says, I will judge sin. There will be a final judgment, dear ones, where the books will be opened and they'll examine and see who's in there, who's in the book of life. If your name is not in the book of life, then you'll be judged out of the deeds that you've done and you'll be found guilty and God help you. You'll be sent to an eternity away from God, never able to enjoy the joy that he has planned for you in heaven because you have rejected Today, right now, what I'm saying to you, you're rejecting the good news of Jesus Christ. You're resisting it for some reason. You don't want to hear it. Hey! Are you listening to me? You see, Satan wants you to think of anything else. 
So I preach the gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and you'll be saved. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become a child of God. Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation. May Jesus Christ touch you, teach you, and transform you today if you do not know him. This group of 120, it's a special group of people. And they're perhaps in a special place. It says the upper room in my text. It might be an upper room. At a minimum, I'm going to say that them being in an upper room would give them a reminder. A reminder for the 11 that were there in the upper room as the Lord spoke to them. As the Lord took off his garment and then washed their feet. At a minimum, them being in an upper room, it would remind them of the Lord Jesus Christ offering the bread and the cup in the Passover meal and transforming it into the Lord's Supper, a means of remembrance. And then they being able to call those things into remembrance to the other 120, to the others of that group that were there. So a special place. Then a special set of priorities. You'll find that this group, it says, in verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Let's look at these special sets of priorities and be encouraged by them today for this little group of 120. First of all, they were patient and perseverant. The Lord had said back in verse 5 of chapter 1, For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I'd like to point out, it doesn't say many weeks, many months. It says many days. It does give them a limited time, something between 1 and 13 days. If you start to go to the 14th day, you're into weeks. So he says not many days from now. So there they are. And they're going to persevere in prayer to receive what God has promised there in verse 5, that you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It is something that's unprecedented, something they've never seen. They don't know what to expect. But there they are, a group of individuals who are going to be, first of all, patient, not demanding that they get this baptism, but rather persevering, going forward in what it is that God has for them. And I'd encourage us today in that, this special group of people, they're patient and they persevere. Dear ones, let's be that, have that be a characteristic of ourselves. Patient and persevering in what we do. Continue on. Continue on for the Lord. Then they're peaceful and purposeful. They're in one accord. They're united in their efforts. There's no strife among the disciples It's not like the old upper room experience. You see, the disciples there in the upper room, twice it says, uh, as they're there, that they're debating among themselves who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You'll search through here in the book of Acts for any strife among the disciples from this time on. And I'm wondering if they're saying to the others in the 120 just how ashamed they were of what they said to the Lord and what they were arguing about there in that upper room. 
Here they're all one in one accord. I'd like you to notice that's the men and the women that are together in one accord. That they are praying together. So they are peaceful. Peaceful. May we be sure, dear ones, to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace among ourselves. And that there's a point to what they're doing. There is a goal that they have in mind. The purpose is to see what God will accomplish. God's already said, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, for goodness sakes, what's that? There's a purpose that God has for us as a group of believers here at Northern Hills. What it is that's over the hill, I don't know. But I know that he wants us to continue on and persevere in what we're doing. And he has something glorious and wonderful in mind for this group of believers. This week we're going to scatter to points, hundreds, perhaps thousands of points, if you put them all together. In your play, in your activities, in your work, in your contacts, you have the chance to see individuals that I will never see, but you do. And so God has something wonderful and glorious in mind as far as those encounters are concerned. Chris, Don Wynn, and I enjoy a breakfast together every once in a while. Make sure the blueberry pancake is light, I always tell our waiter. (laughs) And so we give to him our tracks, you see. Is there anything we can pray for you today? He looked off in the distance and was absolutely dumbfounded yesterday. Nope, can't think of anything today. (laughs) Then at the end of the meal, we give him our our message from the word. And he says, I was expecting this. He gets blasted every time we're there (laughs) with the word of God. You don't know this man. I do. God has me for there for a purpose. To be a testimony to the grace and goodness of God. You're going to have those kinds of encounters this week. What's the purpose that God has for it? May God bless us in the plans that he has for us. All right. We have then a prayerful group because of the Lord's promise. The Lord has promised you will be baptized. And now they're praying this promise into reality. Did you hear that? They're praying this promise into reality. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It doesn't end there. And your house. Is what, the, is what Paul said to the Philippian jailer. I remember Bob Clark being up here. And as a young worker for the sake of the gospel, he and Joyce had not had children yet, but he claimed that promise. He said, now Lord, listen. I don't have any children yet, but I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you said here, and my house. So Joyce and I are on our knees here and we're going to have children, Lord willing. And we want those children saved for the sake of God. And every one of those kids received the Lord Jesus Christ. They prayed that promise into reality. Be anxious for nothing, but by everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
All right, you have a tremendous promise there. The peace of God that passes your understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Dear one, I encourage you to take that promise and now pray it. In fact, we're encouraged in the verse. Let your requests be made known unto God. You see, there is something that God has promised to you, and so take the opportunity to pray that promise into reality. How God loves to honor his promises. You can go through the scripture and find dozens of these promises that are made for us. I've mentioned two here today. Let's take this promise. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now that's a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would say this morning that some of you feel in this audience that you feel like God has forsaken me. Where is he? Now you start praying, dear one, when you feel like God is not there. And pray that promise into reality. Jesus Christ is there. Because he said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. So this little group of people, patient, purposeful, prayerful, precious and prescient. Now prescient, that's an unusual word. Let's look at precious. Precious because of the price that was paid for them and because of the investment that God has made in them. Jesus Christ found these people so valuable that he shed his own blood. And there's been a tremendous investment of time and energy by the Lord in many of these people, perhaps in all of them. We don't have all of the stories of the Lord being in different places at different times. We think of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the joy of having the Lord there in their home. You go through the Gospel of Luke, the Lord is invited out to people's homes all the time. And there he is investing his time and his effort into these people. And so they're precious because not only of the price that was paid, but the investment that's been paid. And I think of us here at Northern Hills, of the investment that God has, been, has made in a variety of us. You're seeing an investment in here on this pulpit Sunday by Sunday. You'll be hard-pressed to go to another place and find a pulpit that's manned like this from week to week. Or a retired teacher and a fellow that owns a candy shop, and a teacher that teaches math, and people that are in various walks of life come up here and minister the word of God week to week. That is an investment that God has made in this assembly for the purpose of his word going forward, and we are precious in his sight. And dear ones, value that. That it's something that God has allowed us to be a part of a part of this wonderful experience of having our various gifts used. Now, I'll have to admit to you, we're struggling in certain areas as far as the use of gift in the appropriate way here at the assembly. There are those of you who have gifts, and how is it that we encourage those gifts? How is it that we stir up that gift? How is it that we give opportunity for the use of that gift? And so may God bless and guide us as we have the 
opportunities and the challenges before us to use gift that God has invested and given in us for his glory and for his praise. But they're a prescient people. Prescient, that is the knowledge of things before they happen. God knew what would happen to that little group of 120. And that in just a few days, it would no longer be 120, but 3,000. And a short time after that, 5,000 added to the three. And then beyond that, church after church is established in Judea, in Samaria. And then going out into the uttermost part of the earth, in what we would call today Syria, and then into Turkey, and then over into Greece, and then following on into a whole variety of areas of the world. And so here we have this little group of people, and God knowing the potential that's there. Who knows the potential that's locked up here among us? You see, the great thing that's a grand, being a grandfather is to be there with your little granddaughter and then, of course, at the right moment, send her on her way home. <laughs> you see, Lexi and I are taking a walk down Holly Tree, and as you come to the corner of Holly Tree and Cottonwood, we're picking up acorns, see? And she gets into it, you know, really, acorn, acorn, yeah, acorn, yeah. So, oh, acorn, acorn. So, yeah, that's right, Lexi, that's an acorn. And then it occurs to me that I'm standing next to this grand and glorious oak there in the corner of Cottonwood and Holly Tree. It's no ordinary oak. Nearly 100 years old. There are trees all around in our neighborhood, and one of them was in our yard, distorted by storms, struck by lightning, completely consumed and gone, ravaged by disease, cut down by individuals. Oh, some of those oak trees, it just pains me even now to think of those glorious oaks being cut down by these guys with these chainsaws. It's, it's interfering with my shade in my yard. <laughs> so what? No. <laughs> Here's this oak tree standing. The other trees around it have been torn apart at various times by storms. This tree struck by lightning. And you can, to this day, see the spot. We had just moved into this neighborhood. The tree, the lightning came there, came straight down, and then there's a scorch mark where it then hit the grate that goes into the sewer. And now it's slowly, over the years, that area has become not completely covered, but it's healed to a great extent. And I stood there with Lexi, and she had that acorn in her hand. And that great oak tree started as an acorn. And my little granddaughter has prescient, prescient ability now. She took it back to our deck and threw it in the yard. I don't think we're going to have an oak tree growing there. But Who knows what God is going to do in us and through us as an assembly? God knew what was going to happen to this 120. I like the number. We're about 120 here. Who knows what it is that God has in mind for us in the years to come? May God be prescient as far as we're concerned to pray those things into reality for the future. 
Just a few lessons from the 120. Let's go to the 12 now. Let's read Acts 15, Acts 1, 15 through 20. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man Judas acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his bowels gushed out, and became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, which is the field of blood. And Peter saying again, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May this camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and, quoting again from the Psalms, let another take his office. So, one of the men who have accompanied us during the time of the Lord went in and out among us, and he starts to describe what the requirements are for someone to be voted upon. All right. Let's look at a seditious person, first of all, and what this discloses. We have in Judas this individual who betrayed the Lord. We don't want to spend a lot of time here. I do want to say the detail that this brings out. The 30 pieces of silver that Judas got for betraying the Lord, that was never used to buy the field. Judas took that and threw that back at the priests. The priests then took that and bought that field. No, this field that's being talked about here, this is a field that Judas bought with the money that he stole out of the bag as time went on. John says very plainly, that the only reason that he wanted to have the perfume sold that was put on the Lord Jesus by Mary was so that he could steal some of the money. And then John says, just as plainly as can be, Judas was a robber, a thief. And he had bought some land. And the implication is that he went to this land, and there in a tree in this land, he hung himself. The weight of his body and the hanging, he then fell down, he had a terrible injury as a result. His bowels gush out, and there you have it. I cannot help but think of what Judas could have been. Given the privilege by God to be a part of the disciple group, Judas given the authority by God to go out and minister the way he did, and then Judas betrays the Lord Jesus Christ as Peter betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the rock, the stone. Upon this rock, myself, Jesus Christ, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, and when you turn around, Turned around, minister the word of God. Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And then Peter, in just a short while, is going to preach a tremendous message. In fact, two of them here. He's going to write books. He's going to tutor a young man named Mark, who's then going to write the Gospel of Mark. All oh, the grand and glorious future that God had in mind for Peter. And if only Judas 
Now, there would be many who'd say it's impossible. Satan entered into Judas, that he became the tool of Judas. I, I understand that. I'm letting you know the way my mind works. That salvation is for anyone, even someone who betrays. That's how grand and glorious the gospel is, this seditious person. But then we go on to some selected persons, and let's look at the lessons from the 12 here. Acts 21 through 26. So one of the men who have accompanied us during the time of the Lord when he went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice. So his name is Joseph Barsabbas Justice and Matthias, two men. Joseph Barsabbas Justice, that's one of them, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these you have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the apostles, the eleven apostles. Now, what Peter did here is controversial for me to pretend that it wasn't. It's not. There are lots of opinions on this. They fall mainly into two areas. He did wrong or he did right. Okay, let's look at the wrong side. First of all, there's the handling of the Scripture. Peter took two unrelated portions of Scripture in Psalm 69 and Psalm 109 and mashed them together and said, this is the reason that we have to do this. Now, that's the quotes that we have here. <clears throat> now, Peter's not alone in taking different parts of Scripture and pushing them together and, and then making your point. So we don't want to push Peter too much on that. The second point that people make about him, he's not waiting upon the Lord's direction. If he had been patient, if he'd been quiet, if he just waited, then the Lord would have filled the office according to his will and his way and his time. But Peter seemed to be hot to trot here, and so he said, let's do this. And the last one is the use of lots to make a decision. The use of dice to make a decision, to cast the lots. People are critical of that. I want you to know the elders and the deacons do not bring a set of dice to their meetings when making decisions. Now on the good side, let's look at what Peter did and what they all did. Verse 24, the two men were put forward and they prayed. Now, how can we fault him for that? They pray earnestly. They pray openly, very transparently. You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take the place in ministry of apostleship. So that's something that we can't help but commend Peter for. Great job, Peter. You're praying. You're asking for the Lord's help. And then finally, the actions were before everyone and unopposed. You don't find a word of opposition from anybody else in the 120. You don't say, now, Peter, just a second. Just, we're rushing things here a little bit. You know, calm down, calm down. Let's, let's be patient. We're patient and waiting for the baptism of the Spirit the Lord promised. 
You know, just because Judas is gone, we don't have to do this right now. Not a word like that is said by anybody. So you have those two points of view with Peter in this situation. Now, here is the, the simple message that I have for you from the twelve. You know what? You and I are going to do controversial things in our lives. We are going to do things that people agree with and disagree with. We're going to do things that people feel aren't very spiritual and that people say, well, let's commend him for what he did or what she did. We have to embrace those things here in our, in our lives together, just as these 120 did. They went along with the leadership of Peter, and we have an individual that's selected. All right, that's wonderful. You and I are going to do these things as we're here. I've done them here at Northern Hills, where I make a decision, and there we are. I'm stuck with that decision, and it ain't so good. Or maybe it's great. Whatever it is, we then support, encourage, and help one another in those things. So we're going to make controversial decisions at some point in our life. Let the event here of Peter making this controversial decision to fill the office, speak to us and minister to us. We're not going to agree on everything that everybody does. We're still living together and committed to each other as a group of believers. I hope that ministers to someone's soul here today. It helped me. Now let's learn from the one or the ones. They put forward, this is verse 23, they put forward Joseph, Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, and Matthias. And then in verse 26, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven disciples. I'd like you to look at, first of all, their solitary place. You can search the scripture. You will not find Matthias or Barsabbas anywhere else. Now, there's a Barsabbas that comes up later in Acts 15, but it is unlikely that that is the same Barsabbas. He's got a different name that he goes by. So, let's just say sufficiently, They stand alone. They stand on their own. They're a frozen snapshot. There is no video of these men. One thing that does commend them, they are with the Lord and with the disciples from Jesus' baptism to his ascension. They spend time with the Lord. But the thing that I want to make sure I point out is they represent a host of others who have been anonymous, and followed the Lord Jesus. They represent an entire army of individuals that have been in the church's history, that have moved along anonymously. Nothing is known about them other than the fact that they have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. I'm going to take the black hymnal. You take it too. Take the black hymnal. Turn to 27. You'll find 17 other songs like this in this black hymnal. You notice in the upper left-hand corner, author unknown. Now at least Matthias and 
Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice got their names mentioned once. Here you have no name here. But let's see what this anonymous individual knows about his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Savior. O oh my soul, he has drunk the bitter gall, paid the ransom, set thee free. Praise him, praise him joyfully. Oh, the wonders of his love. See him coming from above to atone and die for thee. Praise him, praise him joyfully. See the waves in billow roll or his sinless, spotless soul. Oh, my soul, it was for thee. Praise him, praise him joyfully. Yes, with joy we'll praise him now till with saints above we bow and to all eternity praise him, praise him joyfully. Now, would you say this anonymous individual knew his Savior, Jesus Christ? Hallelujah for such individuals like this. And this is who these two individuals, to my mind, represent. People who know and love Jesus Christ and has followed him anonymously, without a word, without any other details in their lives. And they go on and on and on for the Lord. And they leave a testimony like this individual does. Praise him, praise him joyfully. There is their special purpose as well. And you say, well, what in the world can we get for their special purpose? You know, Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, we had one of the disciples who had three names. Uh, His nickname later on was Trinomus, a man of three names. Judas Labius Thaddeus was his name. We get that from studying the disciples and their names. We think that Bartholomew, Nathaniel, they're the same person. We have several with double names. We've got Simon, Peter. We've got James and Johns, the sons of thunder. We've got Thomas Didymus. We've got Matthew, Levi. We have several, but we have one with three names among the disciples, Judas, Labius, uh, Thaddeus. And I wonder, I wonder myself after the lot's been cast and Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice loses, I wonder if the other guy with three names comes up and says, now listen, don't feel badly. (laughs) This disciple Judas, not Judas Iscariot, we've only got one question by him in John 14. It's the only question, it's the only comment we've got about that particular disciple. And here he is, perhaps putting his arm around this other man who's lost in the casting of lots. You know, dear ones, I would think that today there may be people here who need someone who have lost for you to come alongside them. And the whole point of their being here today is for you in this losing condition that they have, whatever the loss might be that they're waiting for, God is giving you and me the opportunity to minister to that person. 
Then Matthias gets chosen. And I'm going to take their names and look at the meaning of their names. Here is what Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, and Matthias means. Adding peace and uprightness, or adding peace and justice, or adding peace and righteousness, the gift of God. Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, adding peace and uprightness, Matthias, the gift of God. Their special purpose today is to add those things to that group of 120. And I'd submit to you that today God is wanting to add those things to our group. How wonderful it is to have peace added to our group, to have uprightness added to our group, and to realize it's all a gift of God. This little group for 10 days just awaiting the baptism of the Spirit. And may God bless the lessons from them today. Let's pray and also give thanks for the meal we're going to have. Dear Father, thank you for this group of individuals, 120 in number, that were just waiting, waiting for the Spirit of God to manifest himself in their midst in a way they did not know, but there they are, all united, all being blessed, all an object of your wonderful attention. Dear God, I feel the same way today, that we're the object of your attention, of your care, and of your love. Thank you for loving us so very much, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.